Hi and welcome to a new episode of Skills for Mars. Remote work in all its forms has been the default this past year. So what have we done well, what have we learned and how should we move forward? Mark Mortensen is joining me today, exactly 12 months after we have recorded together an episode of the Making Remote series, to discuss the research that has been conducted this past year. We will talk about hybridity, power and fairness, trust, performance and adaptation. Most importantly, Mark will share his insights and tips so that the hybrid world we are working towards will be successful for both individuals and organizations. Through this podcast, we are bringing the future of work closer to you. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to like, subscribe and share your thoughts in the comment section below. Your views and feedback are extremely important to the development of the podcast. Hello, Mark, and welcome back to Skills for Mars. How are you? <laughs> it's nice to be back on Mars. <laughs> I was just looking and, you know, yeah. 3rd of April last year, we were recording the one episode of the Making Remote Work series. Yep. Uh, one year ago. Isn't it crazy? I, I have lost track of time and how these things are, are passing. It's, it's kind of crazy. It like, is. A lot has happened uh, the past year. Any thoughts on remote work, especially that you've lately you've been concentrating on uh, research articles? So I've been spending a lot of time thinking about you know how how remote work is changing, and in particular, I think that the topic that's coming up in the beginning, everyone was in sort of survival mode, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time. Um, everybody was in survival mode. What do we do? How do we get through this? And a lot of companies came back around with this message of you know. I think we, we did pretty well. And I've, I've actually had a lot of companies that have kind of sheepishly bragged that, you know, we had some of our best years yet. You know, we, we, we've actually done great. Um, and, but now we're in this, in this transition to sustainability, which was something we were talking about earlier on, but I think it's becoming more front and center for a lot of organizations, which is, okay, let's stop freaking out about what's going on with the COVID situation. And let's think about what is the, you know, the new normal really going to be? What's it going to look like? How are we going to work? How do we think about this? And that's really where, that's what I've been, been trying to understand. Um, and you know, we, we've had a, a few different studies that have come out, um, some work looking at uh, the impact on things like trust. Um, again, there was some of this work uh, that came out um, uh, well er, earlier, uh, right around the, the uh, in December, January, around um, isolation and loneliness. There's there's stuff around um, around hybridity and power and how those things are playing out. It's really what I think a lot of organizations are trying to figure out now is we know there's going to we know that we are moving in a direction in a new direction. We haven't quite figured out what it's going to be, but we're desperately trying to figure out what do we need to do to prepare. And I think that's kind of the space that I've been in, um, yeah, for, for a while now. Against all advice, and I think we chose the most difficult path, or the companies chose the most difficult path, which is hybrid. Mm -hmm. If I was, list I re-listened to the series, and pretty much researchers say, and org design specialists, they said. It's either one or the other. Hybrid is going to be extremely hard. Yep. Uh, if you're looking to soft, uh, listening to all remote companies, they say the same thing. But I, I guess there was no other choice than hybrid. It's very hard to move everyone and have everyone working from home. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Because you've been seeing this in the past year developing yep. in front of your eyes. Yep. And I, it's it, it's developing and it's sad, sadly, I mean, I, I feel bad that my prediction was right in that this is what I was saying in the very beginning was, you know, we're not going to go to all remote. We're not going to go back 
to, you know, back to normal, we're going to go to hybrid. We know this is what's going to happen. And that's pretty much what everybody's dealing with. I think you're right. It is the most difficult. And it's the most difficult for a few, for, for a few different reasons. One is it's, you're stuck in the middle. You're, you're not getting to commit to either one. Um, everything has a trade-off, right? Remote working and working from home has some benefits. And this is one of the things that we saw. And I know we talked about this last time around better work-life balance, or at least I have more control over that. I have a little bit more flexibility. There, there are a number of different elements like that. At the same time, working in the office gives you the random interactions, the water cooler, coffee pot chats, all of that sort of stuff. It gives you how we transmit culture, which is typically through stories, um, mentorship, all of these sorts of things. So you give up, you know, the, the risk that we have is we get the worst of both worlds. And it's the same as a as a as somebody who teaches the worst. Ask any teacher, the one thing all teachers say, oh, but you know what's the worst? The blended classroom where you have some people in the seats and some people on video. No matter what, somebody gets left out, somebody gets forgotten. And this is what we're seeing in organizations as well. And this is the, some of the work I just uh, that just came out with Martine Haas around power and hybridity. One of the challenges is if you're a manager, you have some people, let's say if you're choosing to work in the office all the time, you have some people who are in the office with you, in which case I get to look at you and say, hey, Yulia, how's it going? I get to have catch-ups. I get to see what you're doing. Whereas... That other colleague who happens to be working remotely, I don't have as much information about him or her. And that's going to affect things like performance evaluations. It's going to affect all these other things. And then it gets even more complex because most organizations are also dealing with things like um, hybridity is a, is a choice or there's some variance in it. So it's not just you're now working from home and I'm working in the office. It's, well, you choose what days you're working from home. I choose what days I'm working from home. Now we have a scheduling problem. Right? Are we in the office at the same days? Are we off in terms of our office days? And so we may both be working huge amounts, but we never see each other because we just have opposite schedules. All of this is what makes the whole hybridity thing different and diff more difficult compared to you know 20 years of research on remote working, which has always had typically has been more about, okay, this is what happens when you're remote. We now have to think about what happens when as a manager or as an employee, you have to deal with both. Do you think there will be employees who, even though they want to work remotely and they want to work from home, because they feel this difference from the power center, they will actually choose to go into the office and maybe be a bit less happy or satisfied, but be there because they are closer to the to, to executives, to the power center, to the decision center? Absolutely. And I, I and honestly, I think that that is, that is the smart approach. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying don't work from home, you should work in the office. But I do think that the people who are going to be more successful in this sort of environment are the ones who actually think about it. And they say, well, okay, am I spending too much time off cycle with key people who are either important for my career, my promotion, from whom I can learn the kinds of skills and things that I need? If I'm spending time away from those people, well, maybe that's actually not the right thing to be doing. Maybe now is, is, is a time where I need to say, look, I'm going to spend some more time in the office in particular you know, situations. I think what's, what's interesting, though, and, and there is a new or a different challenge. And um, I had this conversation with, with a, a friend of mine talking about their different jobs have different allowances for work from home. Take, for example, somebody who works in order fulfillment in 
you know, you name you name the company. If my job is to put the orders into a box and ship it out, I can't do it remotely. No matter how much I want to, no matter how much I say, oh, I'd love to have work from home. I can't work from home if I have to pick up a physical box and put it in. Now we have a problem where let's say two people are hired by an organization. They have the same rough skills. One happens to go into a something like order fulfillment, but it doesn't have to be a manual task. It could be something like R&D. You have to be in a lab. I can't do R&D on these products from home because I need the materials. I need the hardware. I need the equipment. I need whatever else. So you're going to have some people who have to work in the office, and you're going to have other people who are able to work from home. Now, how do you deal with that when it becomes a question of fairness, especially as, and this is something that I know a lot of organizations are thinking about, and a lot of employees are thinking about, this is part of the job, uh, the job search process, right? Hey, I'm going to work for a place if they let me work from home. I want to have that option. If that's now a constraint, now suddenly organizations may have to start thinking even about redesigning jobs to say, rather than having one order fulfiller and one back office person, maybe what I need is two people who do 50-50 so that both of them can have the opportunity to do some work from home if that is a career requirement. And so this may actually start having longer term effects on the way in which we design jobs, structure works and organizations, all this sort of thing. Or maybe even ask uh, candidates directly when they come in, do you prefer to work from home or from the office? I have a lot of friends who actually do not want to work from home. Yep. They hate it. They hate yep. it and they don't want to do it. And actually going to recruitment, uh, there was one one thing that I noticed in your article that uh, if you look at personality types, mm-hmm. those, that, those that manage to work better remote or in hybrid environments are those extroverted uh, kind of personalities. So I was wondering... Do you think this will affect the way we recruit and promote as well? Mm-hmm. I think I think it may. And and let me be let me be cautious on this. I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, hey, remote work is is beneficial for or or biased towards the extro- extroverts. I think that again, one of the challenges with all of this is there's there's a trade-off. Um one of the benefits that extroverts have is they find these sorts of interactions energy generating, right? So the more I interact with different types of people, um, the more this kind of excites me and I'm energetic and I'm I'm ready to go. Whereas introverts may find it more or are going to definitionally find it more depleting. Now there's lots of research. There's the study that came out of Stanford that has been getting a lot of press recently, which I think is fantastic, where they talk about the impact, the psychological impact of Zooming right? We see all of these gazes, which triggers a fight or flight. We, we spend our time, I, I intentionally right now, I hid my self view. Because, you know, the research shows that when we sit there and we see us and we, I should, I can, you know, we're, we're, we're busy futzing around and do I look right? Do I, so you know, I've started now saying, look, I don't want to see me because look, in real life, you don't see yourself. You don't walk around with a mirror in all of your meetings saying, hi, I look fantastic, right? We don't do that. So I, these are parts of the, you know, the, the challenges that I think we have. It is going to become part of, of, of the recruiting process, or it's going to become at least more something we have to be more cognizant of in this process. But I'll put in one caveat, and this is a, this is a forward plug. Um, Amy Edmondson and I have been talking a lot about how this plays out with ideas like psychological safety. 
right? And I think that there's also an important thing we need to start thinking about, which has to do with, with what are the boundaries of what we can talk about? And, and I'll just sort of anchor it with this idea that, look, especially in this, in this various different parts of the world and what the regulations are, their legal ramifications, certainly in the U.S., there are very strong restrictions on what you can ask and what you can't. Right? You can't ask somebody about their personal history, about their preferences in any way, shape, or form, because for very good reason, we need to protect people's privacy. We need to make sure there's no discrimination or we reduce discrimination. But as we start moving more and more towards a blended environment where there's work from home and not, and where managers have to actually manage that process, they need some of that information. That's a really sticky new problem that maybe means we have to start rethinking, how do we do this? How do we actually, as leaders, as managers, get the information that we need as data while not compromising people's safety? and their security, their privacy, and, and these factors. These are, are very real open questions that I think we're still trying to sort out. For sure. Have you seen any models so far of hybrid companies that have moved in this past year that actually made it or they have a good chance to succeed? So I, I, I don't have, I mean, there, there are lots of companies that are moving in that direction. I would argue that most organizations, right, unless you're one of the very few that have, and I would argue largely for publicity purposes, said we're going 100% remote, everyone can work remote as long as they want. Um, you know, this is largely a publicity thing. This is we want to be visible and for very good reason. It, it, it differentiates them in the labor market. Um, for most others, All, we are moving towards and we've been doing more and more of this sort of a hybrid environment. Um, very few organizations have gone fully back to the office at this point, but most organizations have at least some people who are. So by definition, we're all doing this. I don't have a list of here are the ones doing it well, because my experience is it's super idiosyncratic. In certain organizations, right? The cultural piece is critical, right? Maintaining that culture, transmitting that culture. For them, having more people in the office is much more critical. Depends on the work you're doing. If the work you're doing is super modular and you can do your work from home, I can do my work from home, and we know that the interfaces will plug and we're all set, look, it's not that big a deal that we work more remotely. So the problem is figuring out how to do it depends on you really understanding your business and your needs for your organization in terms of the way in which it's structured, the way in which it's organized, the soft stuff, the hard stuff, the power stuff, all of it. You need to understand that in order to better design the way in which work from home or hybrid working is needs to be for you. It all has to be fit for purpose. For sure. Any tips from research on how we can make it more fair? Um, well, again, so in, in the article that, that uh, Martin Haas and I uh, uh, put out, one of the things that we, we stress is, obviously, first, you need to have a conversation. Um, and, and part of that means we need to increase visibility and the dialogue between managers and subordinates about these questions of, you know, when in, in the article, we talk about visibility and access to resources, right? I think what's important for people to keep in mind and, and in thinking about this is, you're making a comparison between two different pieces or they're two different sort of drivers. Access to resources is about whether you are sitting where, the, where, where things are flowing, whether it's information, whether it's technology, you name it. 
Visibility is about your relative position to individuals. One thing that actually didn't make it into the article, um, when we first were thinking about this and drafting it, we, we actually thought of it both sort of from two different directions. We said, look, it's really a two by two. Where's the manager in the office or at home? Where's the employee in the office or the home? And then you get four quadrants where you can start thinking about what are the unique challenges in each one. I still think that that's actually a really simple way to map it out. And for a team leader to sit there and say, look, so on Tuesdays, what does the situation look like, right? I'm working from home. Here are the people who are also working from home. So I understand what their experience is like. Here are the people who are all working together in the office where I'm not there. So they have access to resources, but they don't have visibility by me. So I want to think about when do I schedule the meetings? When do I, you know, these sorts of things. And conversely, what about situations where I know I'm working in the office I'm with a group of people. Those people have a double advantage. They're with me and they're around the resources compared to one of our great colleagues who happens to be working remotely on that day and has neither the technology or the resources available at the office, but also doesn't have my eye. The you know, first step, mapping the stuff out is really, really critical. And having that as a discussion also around what people want, because as I think you mentioned, there are people who don't want to go into the office. Um, there are people who really do want to go into the office. So the first thing you need to do is have a conversation so that you're not trying to fix a problem somebody doesn't have. And unfortunately, we see that a lot. For sure. And uh, as you've stated in all the articles and everywhere I've read, this is very much a matter of leadership, mm -hmm. whether it's team leaders or the managers of the company or the way they set the strategy and they think about it and they think they're people. But it's so many things depend on them from uh, communication to how they manage psychological safety, to how they manage uh, the level of stress and the burnout of their employees, to how they communicate different things, how cognizant they are about what's happening mm -hmm. in, in at, at work. I, I agree, but I'll put the caveat on because I, you know, I always have to say, well, but here, here's, the, here's the, the tough part. It's, it's very easy and we all default towards putting it on the shoulders of management and leadership and say, ah, it's, and, and there's no question, a bad leader or bad leadership decisions can cause irreparable damage to psychological safety, to the establishment of norms, to uh, the creation of trust, to, uh, to effective communication and information flows. And, and so I agree 100%. It's very easy to, to mess this stuff up with poor decisions by leadership. But that doesn't mean that this rests purely on the shoulders of leaders. And I think that it's important. For example, take something like psychological safety. Um, psychological safety does depend a lot on leaders. There's no question. They play an important role. However, I think every one of us can think of examples where attacks on our psychological safety haven't come from leadership. They've come from our peers. Where you know, I say, hey, I, I have this idea. And it's our peers who say, Oh, Mark, that idea is stupid. I mean, no, you know, and, or they do, and they do that in a public setting where I, where, you know, this is career limiting for me because this was my big presentation to the board and somebody chimes in and shoots me down in a way that makes me look bad. That's a psychological safety issue that no leader has 100% control. So my, my pushback is leadership is important. But part of the role of leaders is to set up the norms and the behaviors for the group because the leader can't watch everything all the time. 
And where I do see leaders falling down is when they think that it's their job to fix all the problems because they can't do it. And it's not their fault. They're human. For sure. And uh, talking about colleagues and peers, um, I was actually very surprised by one of your research and one of your statements that it's employees and colleagues who are questioning the trust and the work of yep. other colleagues, which I'm even thinking, is this a symptom of the old system? I mean, we're just, it just became more visible or did it just start? So th I'll be honest, that one surprised us as well. Um, I think when we when we went into studying this, and, and this is work that I did with, with Heidi Gardner, when we went into studying this, our kind of assumption was, yeah, the issue we're really facing is managers saying, I have these people who are working from home and they say that they're working, but I'm pretty sure they're binge watching on Netflix. They're bettering their Candy Crush scores. They're not really working, at least not as well as they would in the office. Now, one, we tend to forget that, look, Everybody out there who has been in an office has wasted time in the office, whether you're searching the web for something or, or just having a random conversation. It's not being in the office that makes the difference. Um, but we were surprised as well at how much of the conversation was, again, about this peer challenge, about people feeling like, look, it's actually it's not just me. Uh, it's not me versus the versus management. It's what's going on by the people next door. And I think the issue that we have to think about here, the, the, the challenge here, is we have to keep in mind that particularly when things like work is interdependent, which is the whole reason we create teams and the whole reason we have organizations, that means I depend on other people in order to be successful. That requires that I trust that they're going to do the right thing, that they're going to follow through, because my end goals are contingent on whether or not they actually do what's, what's needed. Now, the problem is even, you know, up until recently, up until when we were all face to face in the same office, I didn't have to worry about it as much because I could just take a look and I could say, well, hold on. Yeah, they're doing good stuff. I'm okay. Right. I didn't have to worry about the fact that people weren't working because I could I could watch and I felt like I had much more data. The problem is now that we don't have all that data, we 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 start forgetting and we start discounting the history, right? You know, Yulia, you and I have worked together now for a while. We've had these interactions. I know you're going to do the work. But there's something when, I, when we're behind the screen, when I don't get to see you, when I don't have all that data, that I start wondering. And I start, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, we're losing, we're losing the booster shots. We're losing that information. And I think for that reason, it's not surprising that this is happening at a peer-to-peer -peer level. It's happening at a top-down and organizational level from bosses to subordinates, but peers are really seeing it as well. Um, and and it, it stands to reason the challenge is we're fighting against our own psychology and we're fighting against lack of data or different or differences in data, changes in the data that we have. Could this be just an in-between step? Like we are learning how to trust remotely and yep. this is the mess in between, but then in the end we might get to higher levels of trust because we learn how to trust people when we don't see them. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think what's important to remember is we as people are very adaptive, right? We shift um, and, you know, we have all this, you know, there's, there's the, the old parable or, or weird science project of, you know, what happens if you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. But if you put a frog in a cold pot and you heat it up, 
I'm not encouraging people to cook frogs like this, but you, you get the idea. The point being, people are the same way. We get used to things. And I have no doubt that there will be some shifts and we will adapt to a new normal, not in terms of the way in which we work, but even things like how we calibrate, right? What does it take for me to trust? I've seen, I've already seen this over years in the traditional, you know, before we had COVID and this big shift towards work from home, I already saw this a lot with my MBAs. I, for years and years and years, have talked about trust in the classroom with MBAs. And so the nice thing about an MBA class, every year they stay the same age. So I get to see a running sample. About 15 to 20 years ago, 15 years ago, the conversations with MBAs, you know, what does it take to trust somebody? It was very much the same thing I hear from very senior executives now, which is, if I'm really going to trust somebody, I need to have met them. I want to shake their hand. I want to go out and, you know, have either either have a dinner or a drink with them. I want to sit with them. That's what I need to be know I can trust them. Fast forward to now, I see my, when I ask people, what does it take to trust? People are willing to pass on resumes from somebody who was a, a you know a second degree contact in LinkedIn because they went to the same school, but I have no knowledge about who they are or anything. So the, the requirement to be trusted is shifting. And I think that that is going to change. I think we, you know, social systems are dynamic. They're not dynamic in that we can't just sit there and say, oh, let's move everything to the left or to the right. They're not controllable, but they are constantly evolving and shifting. And I think that's the situation that we've got now is we are in flux. We need to figure this out and figure out how it works. Um, so we don't want to anchor on this is the new normal and will be this way. You're right. This is a middle point. At the same point, I wouldn't argue that we should say, oh, so don't worry about it. We'll just, you know, let's wait till we get there because we don't know how long this middle part is going to last. We don't know how quick the transition. It just means that we need a fundamentally adaptive way of thinking about trust. And we need an expiration date, right? We need to say, look, here's what we're doing but we're going to come back and revisit it in six months and see if we still feel like this is the right way to do it and come back a year later. And we're still going to double check. We need to be thinking more adaptively in the way in which we design our work, our organizations, our projects, you name it. Besides this, because you've been thinking about this a lot, any tips for not necessarily leaders, but for people who work remote and maybe work remote from the power center on how to build a trust? Mm -hmm. With their coworkers, with their with their superiors. So, what you need to do is you need to provide evidence, right? Trust is fundamentally based on predictability, right? The reason I trust in something—it could be a person, it could be a thing—is because there's a reason I believe I know the way they will behave. Now, that could be, and you know, there's all the research on trust, and we won't go into into it. It can be because of affinity. I know they like me and I like them. It could be because of competence. It could be lots of things. But across all of these, what is the, the common denominator is evidence. You need to think about if you want to build trust, you need to think about the evidence you are providing people about your trustworthiness, about your ability to be trusted. That's the critical piece that we need here. So if you're going to be working remotely, Put some actual concrete evidence, sit there with a, you know, a piece of paper, a post-it note, jot, da jot down on the post-it note, you know, here, here's a, a few ways in which I can provide evidence of my ability to be trusted. 
um, provide that data. And similarly, think about what you need from others and have that conversation. Um, I have been finding it is much better to just have the open conversation to say, look, what do you need from me? You, you know, in order to be really be able to trust me, what is going to prove it to you? What is going to help you? And what's important, again, with anything to do with trust, it can't be something fakeable. Um, right. It doesn't do you any good to say, what do you need to, to, to trust me? I need to see this and this. Okay. So I'll do that. And then I've got you, you know, wrapped around my finger. Uh, that's not the idea, but we need to have those conversations, find out what others need and think about what is the evidence you can provide about your behavior so that people feel you are predictable. Predictable doesn't mean you can't be innovative, but it means they know they can trust what it is that you do performance in this year that has passed, where I think we were very much focused on work and what we were doing. And quite a lot of people reach a state of burnout as well, because yep. this was the only focus. Uh, and of course, there were families at home and, and so on. And performance, when we go back, where maybe we will have other distractions and um, uh, the pubs will be open or friends and family can visit. Or we can even go and uh, yeah, uh, take the time to go to the office, come back and, and so on. So there'll be even more energy spent on other things besides work. I think that right now we are dealing with a burnout, but afterwards we, are, we will be dealing with decreasing performance. I think you're right. And I think I'll add, a I'll add yet another dimension to it, which is I think it's important to recognize, as I said before, I've had many organizations or many, many senior executives tell me, yeah, we've done quite well. You know, things are, things have been really going well, um, which is great. Um, what's interesting is remembering part of the reason I would argue that probably many organizations have, have done well. And obviously this is very much industry specific, right? If you were in the hospitality industry, it's been a really bad year for everybody. It's very few are doing well. If you're in an industry that is that has been able to function, you know, well enough during during this scenario, many organizations basically said, "Look, everybody, heads down, get your work done." Plus, what do we do? We're going to take a really cold, hard look at where we can become more efficient, where we can make cuts. In some cases, that may even include headcount. In other cases, it is, "Look, we can cut down on expenses with travel, with other things, you name it." The point being, let's be honest, in every organization, there is some proverbial fat that can be trimmed, some things that, you know, okay, there are a couple of projects that we probably should have killed a year or two ago, but we haven't yet because maybe things will turn. No, there's a benefit to having a motivation of the cold light of day to do some cutting and cleaning. So on top of the fact that people have been working from home, Research shows um, that, that people are working longer hours, and this is across all different countries, people are working longer hours now that they're working from home. Um, part of that is reclaimed commuting time, other things, and there's some interesting, you know, sort of perverse incentives and challenges there. But you're getting people working more, they're more concentrated. The people who have withstood rounds of layoffs very often are extra motivated, extra, you know, hardworking. Um, and the organizations are doing everything they can to cut costs. It's no surprise that organizations have actually done relatively well. The problem is once you've cut the fat, there's no more fat to cut, which means by definition, organizations are going to find the next year may be very difficult to compete on that same performance level, 
even if, and this is the, 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 the differentiation between what you were saying before, even if individuals are actually still performing at the same level. On top of that, we have this, this burnout issue. And this is actually something we've, I've been talking about with some of my colleagues. One of the ways you can think about it, we have a bank account for everything, our own individual energy, our effort, our, all this other stuff. We've been working on overdrive. We have been making withdrawals onwards and onwards. And we've been doing it at the individual level. We've been doing it at the organizational level, right? What is the first thing that organizations have cut? L&D budgets, investments in culture, these long distance kind of things. The problem is we have been making withdrawals and we're not reinvesting. And that may come back and bite a lot of organizations in, in the near term when they realize they've cut all the fat. There's no more easy wins. Um, and now we have to figure out how do we kind of compare. And I think, as you're saying, we need leadership and management to be understanding of that and to not say, oh, compared to, look, you did great during the COVID year. Now that we're post-COVID, what's wrong with you? We have to be able to understand how to recalibrate. I'm definitely happy that actually we are talking about these things way more than before. Way more. Yes. Mark, you are talking. You were talking, and even even before, but in your articles as well uh, about the fact that we are in the eye of the storm. Mm -hmm. What's beyond? Oh, I wish I knew. Um, I, I, I could make a lot of money if I had the perfect crystal ball and I could predict this. I think, and again, this is why I think, from from my perspective, the most important thing is to view all current planning and thinking uh, in in an adaptive light. Um, and thinking about how do we, for example, how do we design our teams in an iterative process, in a, in a way that allows us to make adjustments? Because we don't know what the future is going to be. I think we do know, as you rightly said in the very beginning, it's going to be hybrid. But what the balance is, and and even learning how to do it better. Um, I know I've been speaking uh, with with some uh, with some folks who have have startups thinking about how to do the scheduling when it comes to remote work and hybrid working, right? Because there's there's even just a mechanical logistical challenge. These are some of the things that will get ironed out, and so they're they're looming large now, and on into the future they won't be as big a deal because we'll have sort of sorted out the mechanical parts. But there's some elements that haven't hit us yet. And so we may have new challenges. Again, some of the loneliness issues and things. I, I heard a lot of people say that sometime around November or December, they were doing well up until then. And then the wheels came off the train. Like that was when they really said, look, now I, I can't get out of pajamas. Um, it's really hard to motivate. I just don't care anymore. And we don't know what's coming next, Right. None of us have lived through this kind of an ongoing cycle of very severe and significant stress also with, I mean, an existential stress. I mean, about fear for some, about whether the survival, uh, economic stress, you name it, forcing changes in our work-life habits, our relationship habits, right? Are, do we, are, am I sitting there at home with people all the time? Um, you know, I'll give you one last thing to, to think about on this one. It was a fascinating conversation I had um, with a friend of mine who's at uh, who, who's at Total, and he said, "Look, we realized there's actually a challenge that we hadn't even recognized, um, which came about because when they in the old days, back when we used to have meetings around tables with people that you could reach out and you know touch, and they were there." Um, 
we'd have a meeting and after the meeting we would then say oh that was maybe it was a tough discussion maybe it was a maybe even a heated debate and discussion but after that we say okay grab a coffee come on let's go and then we would grab a coffee and during the coffee i could say here's why i was so upset and then you could say oh no 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 but you misunderstood right and we would clarify or even if we didn't fix the problem we could have discussions to do some sense making okay i still disagree with you but now i understand why you had that position that's actually really important and the challenge that they said was look now what happens we finish our meeting and i hit off and my zoom goes away and it takes me all of 6 seconds and i'm upstairs with my family i don't have the debrief time i don't have my commute to decompress and become calm again and so i come home and i'm a delightful parent right now all of a sudden all the anger the frustration all that other stuff the 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 desperate need for sense making and processing we don't have that what happens we get dumped back into our personal lives and we don't know how that stuff is going to play out and what some of the costs are going to be also longer term and i that's why i think you know i i wish i had a crystal ball um my biggest push is we need to keep these conversations going so thank you for for being a, a mouthpiece for having these discussions we need them because it's only with these ongoing discussions and discussions over time that we're going to be able to keep on top of this and also recognize what these trends are looking like Mark what's next in your research are you looking for a particular subject ah still well we're still we're still pushing on some of the same thing actually a number of the things that i talked about here are elements that hopefully will be popping out in various outlets in the not too distant future some of these questions around psychological safety uh around the sort of depletion of the bank account um these are what i would argue are somewhat longer term impacts um and and thinking more uh, thinking less about the the covid challenge and more about what do we need to be doing long term um and and talking to and working with organizations to try to sort out you know even how do we think about the policies right do we require everybody comes back into the office do we not um who needs to come back who doesn't how do we think about that how do we think about how do we even think about work from home is it a reward is it an expectation is it a performance enhancer is it a challenge for our culture these are all different uh facets of it they're different impacts of it um and we need to understand better how to pull those pieces together so that's what i'm working on trying to understand it better and continuing to have conversations like this that push my thinking get me you know challenged and and bring these ideas up and then we hopefully figure it all out together so for those who want to find your articles mit hbr insead somewhere else Those are the main places uh so far we we uh that that's what sort of where we've been targeting a lot of the pieces and hopefully there'll be some more coming out in the not too distant future. If you're okay I will share the links. Please do always. Okay, perfect. Mark, anything that maybe I didn't ask and I should have asked. No, that's my favorite interview question. I use it all the time and no, I this you were remarkably thorough and complete and everything everything I was like, "Ah, oh, I should make sure to mention you'd bring it up." So I think we're I think we covered it. Perfect. Thank you so much for today and thank you for keeping the work uh, up on this one and uh, sharing it with everyone. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is it's it's what I like doing, so it works for pretty well. <laughs>